Welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well, just like our new listeners in the tiny island nation of Mauritius have done. Fun fact, Mauritius is the only place where the dodo bird is known to have lived before it went extinct, and that may be amusing only to me, but I thought it was pretty cool. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. First off, I have to give a huge thank you to Lee Carlos Cunningham, who co-hosted the previous three-hour-long Survivor Series mega episode. It was great to have him on, so please be sure to check out that episode if you haven't done so already. And while we're at it, please also be sure to subscribe to the Raw is Nitro podcast, where Lee breaks down episodes of Raw and Nitro, which aired on the same night, or on some occasions, Raw and Impact. Great show. He also recently put up a compilation of his top 25 favorite moments from Monday Night Raw, so I highly encourage you to give that a listen as well. And on the note of guest co-hosts, I have actually lined up several more of them for the coming weeks, so here's the quick list. Adam from Nitromania will be joining for the December 7th episode of Raw. Sal from WrestleMania Salvation will be joining for the December 14th episode of Raw. And William Rankin from the New Blood Rising podcast will join for the January 4th, 1999 episode, which will cover both Raw and Nitro, since it was such an eventful night for both companies. I'm looking forward to having all of them on, so look for those episodes coming very soon. Alright, so with that being said... Let's get into Monday Night Raw. It is Monday, November 23rd, 1998, and we are pre-taped six days in advance from the Schottenstein Center on the campus of Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. Some of the other noteworthy events which have taken place in this same venue include, well, not much else. Two episodes of Raw in 1999, one episode of Raw in 2015, an episode of Nitro in 2000, and, funny enough, an episode of Nitro, which will be taking place in this same arena on January 18, 1999, just eight weeks away. For those of you who frequent the popular wrestling database website cagematch.net, this episode of Raw has an average rating of 8.9 on that site, which makes it the fourth highest rated episode in all of 1998, behind only the post-WrestleMania episode of Raw, the upcoming December 14th episode, and the final Raw of the year, which we'll also get to in a few weeks. Wrestling fans seem to absolutely love this episode, so I guess we'll see if I also share that sentiment. We open the show with a recap of some of the events from Survivor Series and last week's episode of Raw. Specifically, we see Rock beating Mankind via screw job to win the WWF title, Ken Shamrock joining the corporation, and The Undertaker hitting Stone Cold Steve Austin in the head with a shovel during his title match with The Rock, thereby costing Austin the championship. 
And again, for a full recap on both Survivor Series and the previous Raw, I would definitely recommend that you listen to episode 48 of the Raw Attitude podcast with Lee Carlos Cunningham. So we do not get any opening credits this week, and instead we begin with a live shot, despite the fact that this episode was pre-taped six days ago, of the San Jose Medical Center. Jim Ross tells us that Stone Cold had a blackout in San Jose last night, so they will check in on him at the medical center later tonight. And presumably this is different from his usual ritual, where he downs a six-pack and gets blackout drunk. Now, get ready for some crazy time warp shit here. This episode of Raw was taped in Columbus, Ohio, the night after last week's episode of Raw on November 17th. However, since the episode did not air until the 23rd, the WWF was doing house shows in between, one of which was in San Jose, California, on November 22nd, the day before this pre-taped episode of Raw aired. Got all that? Basically, they're inserting live footage into the pre-taped Raw because something apparently happened to Stone Cold at the San Jose house show. And if you're like me, you're probably also on the verge of an aneurysm just trying to figure this out. But anyway, we then do indeed get the pyro and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Some of the entertaining signs in the audience tonight include I am not white trash Val Venus stole my penis Millie Vanilli number one I'll show you Mr. Socko Mark Henry is a fat ass and my dog eats cat poop. Sorry, OSU students, you didn't really have very many quality signs on this night. Next time, spend less time studying and more time thinking of offensive phrases to write on cardboard. We open the show with Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon, Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe, and Commissioner Slaughter walking to the ring. And speaking of Commissioner Slaughter, Jim Ross informs us that a new quote-unquote independent commissioner of the WWF will be appointed tonight, and Sarge has gracefully volunteered to resign his position. Slaughter was actually appointed to be the commissioner back on the August 4th, 1997 episode of Raw, the night after SummerSlam, so his tenure in that position lasted roughly 15 months. As far as authority figure roles go, eh, not a terrible run, I suppose. So Vince grabs a mic and begins by saying that he had nothing to do with The Undertaker's shovel attack on Stone Cold Steve Austin last week, and so, even though Jim Ross had teased the idea that Taker may have joined the corporation, Vince appears to be shooting that idea down right away. And I'd say that's the right call because, honestly, how much sense would it make for The Undertaker to join the corporation when he's just now forming his ministry? I mean, what type of group would that be? Some sort of corporate ministry? That'd just be nonsense. That'd never happen. Never happen. But anyway, without further ado, Mr. McMahon proceeds to tell us who the new commissioner of the World Wrestling Federation will be. Commissioner Slaughter has graciously decided to step aside so that the World Wrestling Federation can advance. So that the World Wrestling Federation can have an independent free speaker at the helm who does not answer to Vince McMahon. Who will that be? This commissioner will not answer to me. Who? Who's it going to be, JR? This commissioner will have full rights and privileges to treat each and every WWF superstar with equality and with dignity. The only exception to the rule will be Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's mine. Oh! I will make all decisions as it relates to Mr. Austin. Okay, who's it going to be, Vince? So without Come on. further ado, the McMahon family 
proudly presents to you, ladies and gentlemen, the new WWF Commissioner, the only Grand Slam winner here in the World Wrestling Federation. He is the Heartbreak Kid, opportunity. The Heartbreak Kid is thrilled to be back in the ring in one form or another. And we're thrilled to see that man back. I can guarantee you that. Now, as a token of my appreciation and as the new commissioner of the World Wrestling Federation, I can be the one guaranteeing stuff around here. And I guarantee you that things will never, ever be the same again. What's he mean by that, King? I don't know, but I don't think Mr. McMahon likes that. But he does seem pretty confident. Now, in an effort, JR, if I may steal a line of yours, in an effort right to add a little bit more sizzle to tonight's steak, Mr. Vinman, may I book my first match right here, right now? He's taking over. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, right here in this very ring, for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. What? Is a title match here tonight. The current champion, 
The Rock will defend against against who? Who's the challenger? Look at McMahon. Degeneration X member X Pac. Oh. Hit the music. Wow. Look at McMahon. I think. Oh, look at McMahon's face. Can you know McMahon? He's falling right now. He's trying. He's trying to sneak a pose. I don't think this is what the boss had in mind for this new commissioner. So Shawn Michaels is back, and his first order of business as the new commissioner is to book his pal X-Pac into a WWF championship match tonight against the corporate champion, The Rock. And HBK certainly appears to still be loyal to his old DX stable as he crotch chops several times on his way out after making the announcement. He also uh, does a particular gesture as though he was grabbing the back of a woman's head and forcing her to give him a blowjob, but I suppose that's neither here nor there. Let's just say we were still in the phase where he hadn't yet found God. But with that being said, it's good to have Shawn Michaels back on TV. Even though he's obviously still years away from being able to return to the ring, it's nice to have him back on Raw, albeit in a different capacity. Will he indeed act as an independent commissioner, as Vince McMahon claims? I guess we shall see. After a commercial break, we go backstage where Kevin Kelly is with the oddities and the insane clown posse. Apparently, ICP were scheduled to face the headbangers tonight on Raw, but the clowns inform Kevin that they're just not ready to compete, so the oddities will need to fill in for them. If you recall last week, Shaggy 2 Dope came off the top rope and hit a flying elbow drop on Golga, which he claimed was accidental. This resulted in a victory for DX, so it appears that the alliance between the Oddities and ICP is continuing to falter. And sure enough, this does indeed lead us into our next match, the Headbangers versus Oddities members Kurgan and Golga, accompanied by Giant Silva, Luna Vachon, and the Insane Clown Posse. And truthfully, it wasn't much of a match because it only lasted about a minute. The finish came when Golga picked up Mosh and slammed him to the ground. Then he bounced off the ropes to presumably hit Mosh with the earthquake splash. However, Violent J had climbed up on the ring apron, and when Golga hit the ropes, he accidentally ran into the clown and knocked him to the floor. The referee then stuck his head through the ropes to check on Violent J, but while that was going on, Thrasher put a t-shirt around Golga's neck and pulled him backwards, where Mosh was now waiting on all fours. Essentially, it was the old jock and nerd spot. Mosh then rolled up Golga, and when the referee turned back around, he counted to three, giving the victory to the headbangers. And then, as soon as the match was over, Violent J grabbed a bottle of spray paint and sprayed it in the eyes of Kurgan and Giant Silva. ICP and the Headbangers then started putting the boots to Golga, so yes, that's right, folks. It looks like we have us an ICP heel turn. Luna Vachon then also ran into the ring and got spray paint in her eyes as well, and from there, ICP and Thrasher proceeded to cut off most of her hair. Mosh then got on the mic and said that this was the start of, quote, the all-new Headbanger attitude, so perhaps that means they won't be jobbers anymore? Nah, they'll probably still be jobbers. The Headbangers and ICP then mockingly held up Luna's hair and hugged it out in the aisle, so it appears that we may have us a new alliance, even though the Headbangers were stiffing the shit out of ICP with chair shots on Raw only a month and a half ago. As if you needed further proof that Vince Russo's booking doesn't make much sense after that whole Survivor Series conspiracy. However, there is one more noteworthy tidbit from this match, and it is the fact that this is the final Monday Night Raw match for Golga. 
Now, that alone is not such a big deal because Golga has only been around for six months, and the character is mostly unmemorable, aside from his Cartman fanboyism. But, if you're like me, you probably best remember John Tenta, the man who portrayed the Golga character, for his more successful early 90s gimmick of Earthquake, where he had a really strong run against Hulk Hogan while the Hulkster was still in his prime. He also feuded with Hogan and WCW as a member of the Dungeon of Doom while being given the gimmick of the Shark, but we can probably skip over that part. The point is, because this was the last ever match on Raw for John Tenta, it's only fitting that we send him to Wrestler Heaven. in the WWF. The earthquake has taken over, and I'll prove it at Madison Square Gardens. All my fans are going to be wearing blue, and I suppose there's going to be a couple people wearing yellow up in the nosebleed section, but that doesn't matter, because when I put you out of the WWF, Hulkamania and Hulkamaniacs will die. There won't be no more yellow in the WWF because I'm going to put you out of here. Ah, yes, I choose to remember the Earthquake days as opposed to the Golga days. And speaking of Earthquake, we may actually see him once more on the final day of the Attitude Era, but that's a story for much later down the line. We then cut to a montage of all the destruction Kane has caused over the past three weeks, including awesomely shooting a fireball in X-Pac's face, attempting to set all three members of the Brood on fire, and choking a random fan against a wall last week as he wandered aimlessly around the arena. Jim Ross tells us that Kane has not been seen since last week, so I guess we shall see if he makes an appearance tonight. After that, we head back to the arena for our next match, Steve Blackman versus the Blue Blazer. Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler continue to keep informing us that the man in the Blazer costume is Owen Hart, even though we've clearly seen Owen and the Blazer together on multiple occasions, including last week's episode of Raw. At first, I thought it may have actually been Owen in the costume this week, but as the match progresses, we can see that the Blazer actually has a pencil-thin mustache, and when he puts Blackman in the sharpshooter, let's just say that it didn't look like an Owen-quality version of the move. And in short order, Blackman ends up whipping the blazer off the ropes, where he then hits him with a bicycle kick, and then he scores the one, the two, and the three. Your winner is Steve Blackman, which is not something that has been said very often lately. After the match ends, Blackman motions to the crowd that he's going to remove the blazer's mask, but, just like last week, before he can remove the mask, a street clothes-wearing Owen Hart runs out from backstage, jumps Blackman from behind, puts the boots to him, then runs right back to the locker room. 
I tried to do some research to find out who was in the blazer costume this week, but I couldn't find a definitive answer. My guess is that it was probably Steve Lombardi again, but I'm not 100% sure, so if you know the answer, send us an email or tweet us, at RawAttitudePod. We then cut to footage of last night's house show in San Jose, California, where Stone Cold Steve Austin was doing his celebratory posing on the turnbuckles after his match, but when he walked from one corner to the other, he fell down to the ground. Referee Earl Hebner checked on Austin, and he played it up as though he was fine, but Jim Ross informs us that Stone Cold was likely feeling the effects of that shovel shot to the head that Undertaker hit him with last week on Raw. After a quick commercial break, we go backstage where we see Vince McMahon and new Commissioner Shawn Michaels arguing with each other, presumably over the fact that HBK is forcing The Rock to defend his WWF title tonight on Raw. But really, though, X-Pac is about 150 pounds soaking wet, so I feel like Vince shouldn't be that upset. Let's just say that The Rock has faced stiffer competition. So we then go back to the arena for our next match, a heel versus heel tag team encounter pitting D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry against brood members Edge and Gangrel, who are accompanied by WWF light heavyweight champion Christian. And right at the start of the match, Jerry Lawler appears to be a bit psychic as he ends up coining a nickname for Mark Henry, which he will soon end up adopting. Yes, me. Mark Henry is, I mean, he's just like sexual chop. So early on in the match, Edge and Gangrel were double-teaming D'Lo, and we got a really cool-looking spot I don't think I've ever seen before. With D'Lo in one of the corners, Edge and Gangrel each climbed to the second turnbuckle and wrapped an arm around D'Lo's neck. From there, Edge and Gangrel both jumped backwards off the turnbuckle, hitting D'Lo with what was basically a two-man tornado DDT. Really good stuff there. It looked great. And then for good measure, when Mark Henry ran into the ring to try and help out, Edge and Gangrel united to hit him with a hip toss, so even though this is a heel-versus-heel match, the brood are definitely looking like the baby faces so far in this one. And surprisingly, they actually let these guys go out there and have a really nice match that lasted over seven minutes. The finish came when Edge leaped over the top rope and took out D'Lo, which left Mark Henry and Gangrel alone in the ring. However, just like last week, China emerged at the top of the ramp. And also just like last week, this completely distracted Mark Henry, which allowed Gangrel to sneak up on him and roll him up for the three count, giving the victory to the brood. Much to D'Lo's chagrin, the world's strongest man appears to not even mind that he lost the match, simply because China showed up. And then, to make him even happier, China pulls out a microphone and confirms that yes, she will indeed go on a date with Mark in order to make him drop his sexual harassment lawsuit against her. And by the way, for those scoring at home, I'm pretty sure this is the first time we've heard China on a mic since the infamous DX split segment back in mid-August. So Mark Henry then proceeds to roll around on the mat like a giddy schoolchild, so apparently it's on. Mark Henry and China will indeed be going on a date. And judging from both of their physiques, I'm guessing it'll probably be at a steakhouse. Gotta have that protein. We then cut back to the San Jose Medical Center, where Stone Cold Steve Austin is being tended to by doctors and nurses. The doctor informs Austin that he suffered, wait for it, a concussion, likely thanks to The Undertaker hitting him in the skull with a shovel last week. Austin is told that he needs to take a few weeks off, And, of course, Stone Cold tells him that isn't going to happen, because really, why should a little thing like a brain injury prevent someone from taking bumps? Gotta get back in the ring as soon as possible. The doctor also tells him that he needs to take his medication, which will likely make him fall asleep. You may want to remember that for later. 
Personally, I found it kind of funny that they were doing another segment in a medical facility less than two months after Stone Cold attacked Vince in a hospital, but thankfully, The Undertaker did not show up in the background dressed as a doctor and saying, Oh, I'll take it from here, nurse. Probably the right call. But then again, well, just wait for later. One other thing to note, after this segment, they show a replay of The Undertaker hitting Stone Cold with the shovel last week. In fact, it's the JVC Kaboom of the Week, and they actually go back and insert a sound effect of the shovel hitting Austin. Because really, the spot didn't look devastating enough on its own. It needed a little dink in there as well. Sure, yeah, why not? After a quick commercial break, we go backstage where we see new Commissioner Shawn Michaels catching up with DX members, the New Age Outlaws, and X-Pac. As a reminder, HBK was never actually in DX with these guys, since they didn't join until the night after WrestleMania 14, when Triple H took over leadership of the group, but Michael still appears to be quite friendly with them regardless. We then head back to the arena for our next match, Goldust vs. Mark Marrow. At the start of this match, Jim Ross informs us that Stone Cold Steve Austin will be facing The Undertaker at the upcoming Rock Bottom pay-per-view in a Buried Alive match. In case you're keeping score at home, this would only be the second ever Buried Alive match in WWF history, with the first one coming two years prior at In Your House 11, where The Undertaker defeated Mankind. And, to tie things back around, one of the other matches on that very same pay-per-view was Goldust vs. Mark Marrow, which is the match we have on Raw right now. Funny how those things work out, huh? So anyway, Marrow actually comes to the ring by himself, and that is because of something which happened on last night's episode of Sunday Night Heat. When Marrow was facing the big boss man, Jacqueline inadvertently tripped Marrow by mistake, which allowed boss man to hit him with the boss man slam and score the three count. After the match, Marrow grabbed a microphone and said this to Jacqueline. Marrow is upset. Matter of fact, he is irate at that young lady, apparently. I brought you in the World Wrestling Federation to take care of Sable. And from what I've seen, Sable has taken care of you. You'll be coming a form in my side. This is the last match you'll cost me. Say bye-bye to the marvelous one. What? Well, apparently, Merrow has just fired Jacqueline. Marrow's dumped Jacqueline. Well, the marvelous one is having uh, problems keeping the lady. And speaking of troubles with significant others, about a minute into the match, Goldust's pregnant estranged wife Terry Runnels walks to ringside, and, well, let's just say that the outfit she's wearing isn't leaving much to the imagination. She's not showing a baby bump on her stomach, but she is showing off two other large bumps elsewhere on her body. And shortly after Terry walks to the ring, Jacqueline also emerges from backstage. They stand on opposite sides of the ring and look on as their respective exes go at it in a match where the fans are clearly much more interested in the valets than the wrestlers. After that, Goldust put Marrow in the corner and set him up for shattered dreams, and Terry jumped up on the ring apron to distract referee Jimmy Corderas. At that point, it appeared that Terry was actually trying to help Goldust, but before he could deliver the kick... Jacqueline snuck into the ring behind Goldust and gave him a low blow. Terry then entered the ring, got a running start, and she kicked Marrow in the dick instead. Jacqueline and Terry then shared a high five as Corderas seemingly just threw the match out, so I believe we have us a no contest, but perhaps more importantly, it appears that we now have an alliance between two jilted women. 
If hitting people in the balls is wrong, then clearly they don't want to be right. We then cut back to the hospital where a nurse is asking Stone Cold for his autograph. Jim Ross then butts in and asks him about the Buried Alive match, which angrily causes Austin to say that The Undertaker isn't going to make it that far. Another nurse proceeds to inform Stone Cold that he needs to calm down and get some rest, so she turns off the lights in his room. However, the camera then cuts outside of the hospital where... A hearse pulls up to the front door. And that means one of two things. Either The Undertaker has just arrived, or someone is about to get some very unfortunate news about their grandpa. After a commercial break, we go back to the arena for a triple threat WWF hardcore title match, Champion Mankind versus WWF Intercontinental Champion Ken Shamrock versus The Big Boss Man. Even though this is technically a triple threat match, Jim Ross says it will likely be a two-on-one encounter since both Shamrock and the Boss Man are members of Mr. McMahon's corporation. And early on, that does indeed bear itself out as Shamrock and the Boss Man double-team Mankind to start, and then they take turns beating on him. Eventually, Mankind was able to shift the momentum when all three men brawled outside the ring as he briefly incapacitated the Boss Man, then hit Shamrock with a suplex onto the steel aisleway. However, once they made it back to the ring, the boss man used his nightstick to take control and choke him. And it was at that point that we saw Vince and Shane McMahon emerge from backstage and stand at the top of the ramp. The McMahons cheered along as Shamrock and boss man took turns beating Foley with the nightstick, but when Mankind went to the floor, he was able to defend himself by grabbing a broom which was lying under the ring. He smacked Shamrock in the back with it and hit Bossman in the throat, which looked pretty painful. The corporation then regained control and rolled Mankind back into the ring. The Bossman picked up a steel chair and Shamrock held Foley up, but, as you might be able to guess, Mankind ducked and Bossman nailed Shamrock right in the head with an unprotected chair shot. Foley then hit a double underhook DDT on Bossman right on top of the chair, but he was too exhausted to make the cover, so all three men were laying down on the mat. After some more brawling on the floor, including Foley amusingly grabbing a fan's homemade version of Mr. Socko, he rolled back into the ring and put that Socko on the big boss man. Shamrock hit Foley with a chop block to break the hold, but then, when it appeared as though Mick was going to be unable to overcome the odds, some new friends of his showed up to lend a helping head. So to recap what you heard there, with Scorpio and Bob Holly holding back the boss man, Al Snow rolled into the ring and smacked Shamrock in the face with head, and that allowed Mankind to pick up the one, the two, and the three to retain his coveted hardcore title. The job squad then ran away through the crowd, and Mankind realized that he had an opportunity to run up the aisle and go after the McMahons, but before he could get to them, Shamrock and the boss man caught up to Foley and started beating the crap out of him. They all brawl backstage, but the important takeaway is that Mankind has gotten a small measure of revenge against the corporation after the McMahons had screwed him out of the WWF title eight days prior. 
My one minor nitpick here would be that Shamrock literally just joined the corporation last week, and he ends up taking the pinfall in his very first match as a corporation member. Not really making him look too strong right off the bat in his new role, and in fact, your reigning Intercontinental Champion has taken at least three televised pinfall losses since he won that IC title tournament on Raw six weeks ago. So I guess what I'm saying is, it's just like present-day WWE booking. We then cut back to Stone Cold Steve Austin's hospital room where we see The Undertaker suffocating him with a pillow, and yes, that is quite the segue. Austin fights back, which causes he and Taker to fall to the floor, and Paul Bearer then shows up with what is presumably an ether-soaked rag. They put it over Stone Cold's face, knocking him unconscious, and then, in an amusing bit of foreshadowing for later in his career, The Undertaker tells Austin that it is time for, quote, his last ride. And sure enough, after a quick commercial break, we see that Taker and Bearer have now loaded Stone Cold into the hearse, which was parked out front, and they drive off into the night with him. And presumably, they ain't going for drive through We then go back to the arena for our next match, and it is a WWF Light Heavyweight Championship match. Champion Christian, accompanied by Edge and Gangrel, versus Dwayne Gill. Yes, it appears that Dwayne's performance at the Survivor Series last week was so impressive that he is receiving continued employment in the WWF instead of it just being a one-shot deal. First off, though, a quick complaint. When we come back to the arena for this match, the Brood are already walking to the ring, meaning that they completely cut out Gangrel's fire entrance. What the hell are you doing, WWF? That's the best part. Yeesh. But anyway, early on in the match, it looked like this was going to be a typical performance which we're accustomed to seeing from Dwayne Gill. Christian hit him with a reverse DDT in a matter of seconds, but when the referee went to count, Christian mockingly picked up Dwayne before he could count to three. However, Christian continued to easily dominate the match until, yet again, a certain faction came to provide an assist. Let's give old Dwayne an opportunity. Hey, wait a minute! The job squad's back! So as you heard there, the job squad ran to the ring yet again, this time to help out Dwayne. With Al Snow and Bob Holly distracting the referee, Scorpio hit a springboard forearm to the back of Christian's head, and he then put Dwayne on top of Christian. And when the referee turned back around, he made the three count, making Dwayne Gill your new WWF light heavyweight champion and only the third man to ever hold that belt. 
And as you also heard, after the match, Dwayne even got his own interview with Michael Cole, where he once again shouted out the Pasadena Chargers, the elementary school football team that he coaches. And if you listen to our previous Survivor Series episode, you'll know that Lee Carlos Cunningham particularly enjoys that aspect of Dwayne's character. Now, obviously, this is a fun moment, but just like Shamrock taking the pinfall earlier, I do have a slight bone to pick with this match as well. Christian had been booked very strongly when he beat Taka Michinoku in his very first match to win the light heavyweight title. Remember that Taka held that belt for 10 months before Christian ended his reign, but now he just drops the belt a month and a half later to a comedy jobber. I would say that devalues the belt a little bit, but then again, it's not exactly all that high up in the pecking order anyway. Am I being too nitpicky? You be the judge. We then cut to a cemetery where we see The Undertaker and Paul Bearer's hearse pull up to an open grave. Taker pulls the lifeless Stone Cold out of the back of the hearse and props him up on a dirt pile, and he then proceeds to start digging the grave a little bit deeper. However, while he's doing that, Austin begins to wake up, and he starts going after Bearer, so Taker chokes him unconscious once again. And at this point, Taker decides to call an audible. Instead of burying Stone Cold alive, he tells Bearer that he wants to embalm him instead. So they load Austin back into the hearse and drive off, presumably to some local funeral parlor in San Jose, which, uh, I guess they would have to break into? Or maybe since Paul Bearer is a funeral director, he has some universal key that allows him to gain access into any funeral parlor in the country. And that key, of course, would be a skeleton key. Okay, yeah, I apologize for that one. So from San Jose, we then go back to Columbus, Ohio, where it's time for our next match, The Godfather, accompanied by three of his hoes, versus Tiger Ali Singh, accompanied by Babu. In case you need a reminder, these two fought each other one month ago on Raw in a match that was so bad that the fans started ignoring them completely and doing the wave. So I guess what I'm saying is, the WWF is tempting fate a little bit here. One thing I will note is that Tiger is doing a lot of similar mannerisms that we associate with The Rock, but he's doing them before The Rock ever does them. Specifically, the hand on the chin and tilting his head down to peer over his sunglasses. Not to mention the clip that I played a few episodes ago of Tiger being the originator of the It Doesn't Matter catchphrase. So basically what I'm saying is, The Rock copied his entire persona from Tiger Ali Singh. Surely, we can all agree on that. So the Godfather grabs a mic and proceeds to offer his hose to Tiger, but this time for a small fee instead of for free. However, it is at this point that I realize that I fucked up. Why? Because on the last episode, I said that we saw the final appearance of real man's man Stephen Regal. But as it turns out, that was an inaccurate statement on my part, because Regal actually interrupts the Godfather's proposal here, and, fortunately for us, He's still wearing his construction helmet. If you recall last week, Regal accepted the Godfather's offer and was leaving with the hose. But then the Godfather called him... (sighs) A fag, and the two of them brawled instead. With that in mind, Regal is saying not to trust the Godfather, and he then amusingly tells Tiger, quote, You can definitely afford better slappers than this. I'm not sure why the word slapper is used to refer to a promiscuous woman, but I will admit that it is a pretty amusing term. Tiger and Regal then proceed to team up and start beating the crap out of the Godfather, but then... Val Venus runs to the ring and comes to the Godfather's aid. Venus and Godfather end up getting the better of them, and, 
as a reward for helping him out, Godfather lets Venus have the hose. And if ever there was a potential tag team which would pretty much be a perfect pairing, I dare say that it would be these two. Oh, and of course, there was never actually a match here, but hey, there were boobs, so the fans enjoyed it. We then go backstage where we see The Rock and Shawn Michaels having to be separated from going after each other by Vince and Shane. Apparently, The Rock is not too happy with the new commissioner's decision to have him defend his title tonight. And after a quick commercial break, we then go elsewhere backstage, where we see that HBK is now speaking with referee Earl Hebner, and I hope Bret Hart wasn't watching at this point, because it probably would have given him PTSD. HBK is tearing up some paper, and Jim Ross speculates that it's actually the rule book he is destroying, which is a rather fitting metaphor for the Attitude Era itself. And now, we head back to the arena for our next match, WWF Tag Team Champions The New Age Outlaws versus Job Squad members Bob Holly and Scorpio, accompanied by Al Snow and your new light heavyweight champion, Dwayne Gill. And in case you're wondering, no, the tag team titles are not on the line in this match. And just for a moment, I'd like to take you back to last night's episode of Sunday Night Heat because Mankind brought a prop with him to the ring and he had a message for Vince McMahon. And yes, I promise this ties into the match on Raw I'm about to discuss, so bear with me for just a moment here. And Vince McMahon, or Dad, I'd like you to feast your eyes on this, because this could have been yours. Okay, so what does that Mankind promo have to do with the current Outlaws Job Squad match? Allow me to explain. After a pretty solid five-and-a-half-minute match between the two teams, referee Tim White got distracted by Road Dog brawling outside the ring with Bob Holly, And while that was going on, Mankind headed down to the ring with his precious leaf blower. Now, I know that it's an ongoing joke that WWF referees are blind because they constantly miss interference during matches, but apparently Tim White is also deaf because he somehow does not hear Mankind sneak into the ring behind him while his leaf blower is blasting at full volume. Foley then smacks Billy Gunn in the face with it. Scorpio covers him. Tim White finally turns around and he counts the one, the two, and the three. And despite their faction name, the Job Squad has somehow won three matches tonight on Raw, so perhaps they're not as big of jobbers as they would think. However, as soon as the match finishes, Ken Shamrock and the big boss man head to the ring and start beating the crap out of Mankind and the Job Squad. Interestingly, the Outlaws actually help Shamrock and Boss Man with the beatdown, but it's not clear if the Outlaws have joined the corporation or if they're just working together to eliminate a common enemy. Either way, the Job Squad ends up being decimated by Boss Man's nightstick, and, amusingly, Shamrock is smacking several people with the still-turned-on leaf blower. 
So if you thought he couldn't possibly look any crazier, just watch the world's most dangerous man wielding a goofy-looking gardening tool. Pretty bizarre. So the outlaws eventually exit the ring and start walking up the ramp, but when they do, they're approached by Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe, and former Commissioner Slaughter. They appear to congratulate the outlaws for a job well done, but it's left ambiguous as to whether or not Road Dog and Billy are actually receptive to the corporation's advances. Will they sell out and join Mr. McMahon's evil group of ass-kissers? Stay tuned for the end of the next match. We then cut to an exterior shot of a funeral parlor, and, sure enough, The Undertaker and Paul Bearer drive their hearse up to the front door. And after a quick commercial break, we go inside the building where The Undertaker is carrying the still-unconscious Stone Cold on his shoulder. He puts Austin down on a table, and Bearer then proceeds to take a pair of scissors and cut off Stone Cold's t-shirt. And clearly, the WWF wasn't happy with merely doing an ambiguous murder last week when Draws sorta kinda pushed Hawk off the Titantron, because now they're going for full-on actual murder. So on that note, let's pick it up from there and see if The Undertaker is successful in killing the industry's biggest star. Oh my God, don't let this happen! Don't let this happen! The Undertaker and Paul Bear are gonna bomb Austin for God's sake alive! that you can hear me because what you're about to experience is going to be the worst imaginable pain and horror that you could ever endure you see death Austin when one understands it they become ageless they become deathless They become immortal. Satana. Nadala. Anta. Of Satana. God, they are the... They are the thing speaking in tongues now. This is gonna happen. Oh, no. Navra. No, come on, no. 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 No, come on. Please, no. So what you heard there was The Undertaker picking up some dagger-like piece of embalming equipment and holding it over Stone Cold while he spoke in tongues. I have no idea what he was saying, but I feel pretty confident that Satana probably means Satan. Those are my deductive reasoning skills at work. However, before Taker could successfully murder Austin, Kane broke into the funeral parlor and attacked him. And in case you were wondering, yes, Kane was in his full black and red bodysuit when he did this run-in, because clearly, he never takes it off. I mean, it looks so badass. Why would you? Why bother? But in the meantime, while the Brothers of Destruction were fighting, Paul Bearer grabbed the scissors and went to stab Austin with them, but Stone Cold regained consciousness and shoved Bearer away. Austin then stumbled before running out the door of the funeral parlor, and then the camera cut out, so we have no idea what happened next. 
I'm assuming The Undertaker and Paul Bearer just killed Kane instead, but I guess we'll have to wait and see until next week. Now, this is another pretty famous Attitude Era moment, but your mileage may vary as to whether you think this segment is awesome or incredibly cheesy. I tend to lean toward the cheesy side of things, especially with Kane running in while fully dressed in his wrestling gear, but hey, feel free to tweet me your opinion either way, at RawAttitudePod, and I'll read it on the next episode of the podcast. And now, it's time for your main event WWF Championship match, as scheduled by new Commissioner Shawn Michaels, World Wrestling Federation Champion The Rock, accompanied by the Big Boss Man and Ken Shamrock, versus Challenger X-Pac, who is accompanied by the New Age Outlaws. And speaking of titles, in case you had forgotten like I did, X-Pac is indeed still the European Champion as well, but obviously that belt is not on the line tonight. Before the match begins, new Commissioner Shawn Michaels comes to the ring, and, to further exert his authority, he tells the boss man, Shamrock, and the Outlaws to all head backstage, so it will indeed just be Rock versus Pac, one-on-one for the title. And then, presumably to make sure no one violates his order, HBK takes a seat at ringside, right next to the commentary team. Early on in the match, the crowd is chanting, Rocky sucks, so it certainly appears that the heel turn is working quite well so far. I mean, if the crowd hates you so much that they'd be willing to see friggin' X-Pac win the title, that's probably a good sign. Also early on in the match, Vince and Shane McMahon once again emerged from backstage and stood at the top of the ramp. Shawn Michaels points at them from ringside as if to warn them not to engage in any funny business, but Shane simply responds with a mocking wave, which I thought was actually pretty amusing. With Rock controlling the majority of the match, X-Pac rebounded by hitting him with a spinning heel kick, which caused Jim Ross to exclaim, Cover him, Sean! Cover him! So apparently the Vince Russo tendency of calling someone by their real name instead of their gimmick name has now leaked over to the commentary team as well. Shortly after that, Pac did indeed manage to hit Rock with his X-Factor finisher, but he was exhausted from being on the defensive for a while, so it took him a while to make the cover. When he finally did, it only got a two-count. Rock then managed to turn the tide by hitting X-Pac with a power slam, and from there, he rolled out of the ring and grabbed a steel chair. And so, let's pick it up from there. Hey, hey, hey! Oh, yes! Hey, that's a... There's another weapon of Rock's got that steel chair! Finish him off! Look at... Wait a minute! What is Shawn Michaels doing? There you go! The sheriff just unarmed a Rock! Get down here! Come here, Mr. McMahon! He's gonna hit Rock! So as you heard there, The Rock brought his steel chair into the ring, but Shawn Michaels took it away from him. We thought HBK was going to clobber Rock with it, but instead, HBK smashed X-Pac in the head with it behind referee Earl Hebner's back. From there, The Rock proceeded to hit the corporate elbow, make the cover, Hebner turned back around, and he made the three count, meaning The Rock has retained his WWF championship. 
And as soon as the match ended, the New Age Outlaws ran out from backstage, but they were then ambushed by the Big Boss Man and Ken Shamrock, which seems to shoot down the notion that the Outlaws are joining the corporation. DX, Boss Man, and Shamrock then continued brawling as the Rocks scampered away up the ramp. And to top it all off, we go off the air with the sight of The Rock, Shawn Michaels, Vince McMahon, and Shane McMahon all doing crotch chops together in the aisleway, which, I must admit, is pretty damn funny to see. Vince has added yet another member to his growing corporation, and it's the Heartbreak Kid. Can this faction possibly be stopped? It certainly looks doubtful at this point. We still have more to cover here, but we're not done yet, so on that note, let's take it to... The wrap up. Yo, I slayed them seeds back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. I freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast as Ben Duggan. Vinny Paz got more homes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas out of my fucking mind. It won't let me back in. Cause yeah. I was down before the heights like Dusty Rose and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now I'm rocking Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster plucking. Chickens when they plucking. Cause WWF stands for women where we fucking. The Ratings Recap Last week, the post-Survivor Series episode of Raw absolutely destroyed Nitro in the ratings, 5.5 to 4.2. This week, the pre-taped Raw dropped pretty significantly back down to a 4.86, but that was still enough to defeat Nitro's 4.5. However, WCW's rating did improve quite substantially over last week's show, and that is likely because this episode aired the night after their World War III pay-per-view. If you're not familiar with the World War III match itself, it's a three-ring, 60-man battle royal where the winner receives a shot at Goldberg's World Heavyweight Championship next month at Starcade, WCW's biggest pay-per-view of the year. And the winner of this year's World War III match turned out to be... NWO Wolfpack leader Kevin Nash, who last eliminated Lex Luger to become the number one contender. That means the main event of Starcade will be Goldberg putting his title and his winning streak on the line against Big Sexy himself. I mean, Nash is alright, but surely there's no way he ends Goldberg's streak, right? Right? Uh, stay tuned. So anyway, here's what you could have been watching instead over on Nitro. Lex Luger defeated Mike Enos, and yes, that's right, Blake Beverly still has a job in late 1998. Chris Benoit defeated Norman Smiley. Canyon defeated Tokyo Magnum. Bobby Duncan Jr. defeated Glacier. That's gotta hurt. Perry Saturn defeated Silver King. Kidman defeated Rey Mysterio to retain his Cruiserweight Championship. Conan defeated Booker T by disqualification. Kevin Nash defeated Wrath. And FYI, at this point, Wrath was gaining some momentum with a winning streak of his own, and because Nash is facing Goldberg at Starcade, he apparently wanted to end someone else's streak first, and so he did. Good times? Scott Hall defeated Alex Wright, Dean Malenko defeated Bret Hart by disqualification, and, in your main event, Goldberg defeated the Giant to retain his WCW World Heavyweight Championship, and hey... Say what you will about Goldberg, but goddamn, it's pretty impressive that he can pick the giant up and hit him with a jackhammer. Awesome stuff. So overall, another relatively mixed bag for Nitro as they begin the march to Starcade 1998. And since Starcade is essentially their equivalent to WrestleMania, it's going to be hugely important for them to deliver a killer show in order to steal some more eyeballs away from the WWF. Will they succeed? I think you know the answer to that question.
And on that note, let's go to the Raw Synopsis. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, this episode of Raw is the fourth highest rated in all of 1998 on cagematch.net, and truthfully, I'm wondering why it's rated so highly. Apparently, people just can't get enough of the job squad. In all seriousness, though, that high rating is most likely due to the combination of Shawn Michaels' return and The Undertaker's attempted embalming of Stone Cold Steve Austin. I think this period of Taker's career is fondly remembered by wrestling fans because his character has always been dark, but now they've really amped him up to pretty much be the personification of pure evil. I mean, just in the past month and a half, he's admitted to murdering his parents and smacked Stone Cold in the head with a shovel, and then tonight he was suffocating Austin with a pillow, speaking in tongues, and attempting to embalm him alive. I dare say that this new version of The Undertaker may be a bad guy. And seriously, I really do hope that other people are going back and watching these episodes of Raw 2, because I'd like to know if you think that these crazy Undertaker antics still stand the test of time. The embalming scene didn't really do it for me, but I know there's one incident in particular coming up very soon that I remember being particularly badass. I look forward to discussing that one in just a few weeks. But as for the overall episode of Raw itself, I would still give it a thumbs up even with the embalming silliness because we actually had four matches on the show which were pretty good, and that's certainly a rarity for Raw these days. And yes, that Shawn Michaels heel turn was really well done. It was pretty impressive that they could convincingly make us think that HBK would be an unbiased commissioner when we should have expected some sort of shenanigans right from the start, only one week removed from the McMahon's epic Survivor Series screwing of Steve Austin and Mankind. Well played this time, Russo. Well played. And on that note, I think we can wrap this episode up. As always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at rawattitudepod. Or more importantly, write us a five-star review on iTunes, because that helps us find an even wider audience. And of course, if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. I have nothing further to add about this episode, so I will now leave you with a clip of an outtake which was aired on the WWE Network show, Jerry Springer Presents, Too Hot for WWE. This is actually a blooper from the embalming scene where that mischievous pallbearer goes rogue, pulls down Stone Cold shorts, and briefly exposes his dick. Yup, that's a thing that happened. You're welcome. So enjoy that clip, and I will catch you next time. That's what it's all about! Yeah! Now for the yours. Oh, <laughs>